This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, the opposition is raising concerns about recent revelations regarding government decision-making that has not been made public. David Brazel called a news conference yesterday to discuss questions about incidents of so-called government secrecy revealed in a recent article published in All Newfoundland Labrador. And just moments ago, the opposition released a list of at least 14 additional orders in council they say have been hidden from the public since the Fury Liberals came into power. Well, my guest today is opposition leader David Brazel. Hello. Hello, Linda. And uh, before we get started, I want to congratulate you on your recent Lifetime Achievement Award, and particularly on behalf of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, thank you for keeping them informed and up to speed on what's happening around this great province of ours. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, I guess to start out, uh, let us uh, tell us a little bit about some of these revelations outlined in the subscription service, All Newfoundland and Labrador, because not a lot of people have access to that. No, exactly. So what happened here, you know, your colleagues in the media uh, were doing some research and investigation around decisions in cabinet that have been made that haven't been disclosed, haven't been shared with the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, haven't been shared with the House of Assembly, that are directly linked to major assets that the people of this province own, like, you know, uh, the Upper Churchill, uh, issues around a cyber attack itself, issues around senior bureaucrats being fired and dismissed, uh, and no outline uh, sharing of information as to the protocols being used. Uh, there's appointments of individuals to uh, responsible positions without it being outlined as to what the responsibilities would be, what protocols were used, uh, do they have negotiating powers on behalf of the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, and when and if these decisions are made, do they ever get shared with the people in Newfoundland and Labrador? And it's disheartening and very confusing when you think about this administration, the Liberal administration seven years ago, came in under one key banner. Their first piece of legislation was about openness and transparency. And all I've seen, and the coll my colleagues in the House of Assembly, and now we're hearing from the general public and the media, is that it couldn't be further from the truth of them being open and transparent with the people of this province. They didn't set the bar very high to ensure that people would know what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's not acceptable, uh, and it's worrisome because there's negotiations going on about the future of Newfoundland and Labrador, and we have no idea uh, if they're doing it in the best interest of the people of this province. We don't know who the other players uh, are at the table, and we don't know if they're going to be sellouts. You know, people in this province need to be reassured that they're being protected, and if it's around a cyber attack, their information is being protected, and there's a protocol being put in play to work that out, or if it's about, you know, negotiating with Hydro-Quebec or any other entity, that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians do not get a rod deal like we did, you know, some 50 years ago. So what is normal procedure when it comes to these kinds of orders in council? Are they typically made public or are there, you know, have there been in the past all kinds of orders in council that haven't been made public? 
normally they're they're made public as, uh, you know almost immediately after they're decided on every now and then there might be a situation where you have to go back to another entity to get more information or there's something that's sensitive that has to be held for a period of time because there's another uh, connected uh, OC which is a, a, a commission minute in the uh, cabinet that needs to be done but in this case we found you know dozens and uh, you know all Newfoundland Labrador found dozens of other ones but they've shared they cherry pick which ones they want to share with the people of Newfoundland Labrador what we're finding out the ones they're not sharing with the people of this province are the ones that would have the most detrimental effect if things are not put in play the right way I mean we talked about it in the House of Assembly uh, we asked continuously that the government would be open with people around what we do with our assets I mean let's look at the conversation around the Rothschild report five million dollars uh, spent that could have been better spent uh, you know with the impact the cost of living is having on people to offset uh, those dramatic effects and yet now they come out and say oh we have all this assessment about the value of our assets potentially what we're going to do with them but we're not sharing that with anybody so there's issues around that that we're thinking if there's all the secrecy then maybe there's something else afoot here that's not in the best interest of this province so look be open and transparent and we've said it in the house of assembly the pc party if you're doing something that's in the best interest of the people of this province we will support that and we'll help move it along we'll worry about politics down the road right now it's about uh, you know writing the ship in this province to make sure we're in the right direction so that people have a future in this province and they want to stay here and be engaged. So what you, you've outlined that now just moments ago another 14 additional orders in council. What kind of decisions are we talking about here? What do they involve? Well that's the issue. Because they're secretive we have no idea. We have a number known that there was a discussion on a particular issue within cabinet. Uh, there was a decision made but yet that decision hasn't been shared and some of these could go back six months or it could be a year and a half. So that becomes the issue here. Immediately after you have a discussion in council uh, and cabinet makes a decision, that information now is law and should be shared then uh, with the general public because it's, it's their decisions uh, or it's affecting them, the decisions being made, and whatever the decision is on any asset is owned by the people of this province. So we don't get why all these things are being dragged out for years at a time. Some are never being shared with us. Other ones are being delayed. When it's the decisions you're making, you're, you're there to govern. You've been given that uh, task, why do you not then share the information with the public so they can assess whether or not they think it's the right direction? And if they don't, then obviously they'll have a voice and they'll reach out to people like us in the House of Assembly to make sure their voice is heard in question period. So would some of these be, you know, simply procedural or are some of these a little more serious than that? I would suspect as a combination. I mean, the procedural ones, again, why would you not then release them the day that you make the decision? Uh, when we see so many not being released, it makes us wary about what's really being negotiated or what deals are being struck or who's been given authority to do certain things in this province. We're saying, look, if you've got qualified people who are going to negotiate or advocate on behalf of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, let the people know that. People would welcome that. The minute I know we have a skilled individual who are going to advocate on behalf of you know, the assets we have in this province and make sure we get the best deal, the people of Newfoundland and Labrador get the best deal that's going to benefit them and the next generations, then we'll be clapping and we'll be supporting and doing whatever has to be done. But when you don't know who has responsibility, who's engaged, when you don't know what the uh, timelines are or who else is at the table, then you become very wary. You know, we're skeptical in this province because too often we've been taking 
taken advantage of. We need to find a way to stop that. And the way to stop it is to be open and transparent. The people in Newfoundland and Labrador are very astute. They'll give us the direction here. And in this case, obviously what I'm seeing from the Liberal government is they don't want the direction from the people. They want to set up their own direction, and that's not going to be in the best interest of the people of this province. And we've seen that in how they've handled things. They've never been proactive. They've been reactive. And even when they react to a crisis or to a situation, it's never works out to be beneficial to the people of this province. And that's one of the biggest criticisms that I have and our party has of this administration. Be open and transparent. Collectively, between us all, we'll find solutions that work. Probably goes against the grain politically, uh, but our intent here is to do what's right for the people of the province. We'll worry about politics later on. I'm not interested in fear-mongering, but is some of the concern here the fact that, uh, you know, we're at this crucial juncture, if you will, in uh, Newfoundland history and the recent, uh, of course, uh, PERT report and some of the recommendations made there that, uh, you know, even if some of these orders in council are very uninteresting or procedural, uh, the question remains is, could these be substantive and... um, you know, related to our our history and what, you know, direction we're heading in. 100%. And, and I'm glad you, you mentioned the PERT report. I mean, here's again, there was very little, there was all kinds of fanfare by this administration uh, about, oh, this was coming out, Moya Green and her committee, very competent individuals. But then when the report came in, the Premier uh, and his cabinet pretty well went silent. But yet we know, we're hearing that there's discussions going on behind the scenes. So does this mean we're selling off our assets? Does this mean that we're privatizing certain services that we're offering here? Does this mean at the end of the day that there's going to be cuts to health care? Uh, you know, so when every, things are being done in secretive, Uh, then you can only speculate that things are being done here that are going to be negative to the people of this province. If it's going to be positive, or you need to have a frank discussion with the people of this province about what it is we can offer them, how we can ensure that everybody gets a certain level of quality services, then have that conversation. So when you've got four or five reports, one, you you deliberately have said you're not sharing any of the information uh, with the people, and yet it's the assessment that you paid $5 million to an outside entity, do say that our assets are valued at certain levels, but we're not going to share it with anybody, and then there could be decisions made where they're selling off the liquor corporation or Nalcor or some of the other uh, uh, entities that we have there that are valued to the people of the province and help offset the need and the costing for health care and education and infrastructure and seniors programs and youth programs as part of that. So it's um, very frightening that at this point we're hearing things around what could be happening secretly, but not being shared with the people of this province. And again, I reiterate continuously, share the information with the people in Newfoundland and Labrador. You'll get an understanding of what direction they feel you should go in. You've been elected to uh, do the will of the people. Well, you share the information, the will of the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, you know, I'm convinced will be right. There's an old adage, uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And this seems to be, you know, f- fit into that sort of narrative. 100%. And that, that's the issue here again, and, and I, you know, I, I keep saying this, and I've said it in the House, about this administration not being proactive uh, when it's looking at the needs of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's indicative here with health care. The only people that haven't identified that we're in a health care crisis has been the Premier and the Minister of Health. And I've, I've asked, you know, the Minister of Health's been there for seven years, and, you know, all due respect to him, uh, you know, probably very competent uh, at, at his former careers and that, and maybe even as an MHA, but 
but leading the helm now for healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, I feel, and our administration uh, on the opposition side feels that there needs to be a change there to see if we can get healthcare uh, moving in the right direction so that 125,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians don't worry every morning about where do they get to see a family physician, how do they get someone to assess their uh, health needs, and how do they get someone to help them with their interventions, and then a multitude of all the other things that go on around the healthcare crisis, you know, overburdened uh, nursing and paramedics and the scope of work that uh, other health professionals could be doing to offset the demands on doctors like, par like pharmacists uh, and personal care attendants and all the other uh, potential healthcare professional services that could be offered. We have great professionals in our healthcare system, uh, I feel they're not being maximized to the potential that they have and to the skill set they have so that it would be a continuum where all professionals here would move in a direction that it would benefit every uh, patient in Newfoundland Labrador and would take the burden off any one of those healthcare categories there and ensure that everybody has equal access to healthcare. Our guest today is opposition leader David Brazel. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And my guest today is opposition leader David Brazel. And uh, David, you held a news conference yesterday raising some of the uh, issues raised in that All Newfoundland Labrador article, including the, the appointment of Brendan Paddock to the Churchill River Energy analysis team and the the premier was uh, rather quick to send out a response to your news conference yesterday and I'll I'll uh, read some of that now for our, the benefit of our listeners uh, Mr. Brazel is aware says the premier of what he calls secret government activities because our government shares them publicly the people of Newfoundland and Labrador benefited greatly from the work of Mr. Paddock and the rate mitigation team as it delivered a 5.2 billion dollar deal for a province that ensured power rates would not double due to Muskrat Falls it is only prudent, carries on the Premier, to continue to rely on their expertise to help inform any work for the 2041 panel. Our government continues cleaning up the more than $13 billion Muskrat Falls mess made by Mr. Brazel and his colleagues in the former PC government. Our government enjoys regular and robust open debate with all elective representatives in the House of Assembly, comprehensive public consultations, and ensures openness and transparency while respecting appropriate legislation as required. Required. That's a statement from the Premier following your news conference yesterday. What's your reaction to that? So, I mean, first, Brendan Paddock, you know, I don't have any issues with Brendan Paddock. He's, you know, skill set individual. The issue that we had brought up here was that there was another committee set that nobody knows what their parameters are. It was a secret committee, and that was discovered by, you know, your colleagues in the media. Secret committee set to negotiate, to assess, to work some deals with other entities. Our fear is, are these other entities Hydro-Quebec where we're talking sellouts, or is it uh, they're setting the tone for some other giveaways with the 2041 uh, expiring of that contract? We wanted to know exactly what it is that they're entrusted to do if this is to supposed to complement the 2041 committee. So you can't have a committee set up that they announced, which was great. Okay, let's start being proactive here and plan for 2041. And that was one of the things where I said they're not being proactive. But when they started to be proactive and set things up in advance, they, they now do something that makes us skeptical. They've got a second committee. 
headed by the same individual who now we don't know exactly what it is that they're entrusted to do here. So we're saying, why would you not want to be out there? If you've got a person who's skilled and has that expertise and has a proven track record, we'll put them front and center and let the people of the province know we've got a champion who are going to fight for the needs and the uh, assets of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, so we're the benefactors. We didn't see any of that. We didn't hear any of that. All we know now, there's another secretive committee that are doing something behind the scenes with Hydro-Quebec or the Quebec government, uh, and we don't know if it's in the best interest of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. We would hope it is, but we have no idea to know that. So we don't know if it's part of if we're selling off other assets as a bigger deal. Do we have the federal government here? Are we giving in on some of our offshore uh, potential oil developments because uh, you know we got a deal from, Labrador, from the federal government on rate mitigation? So there's a number of things like that. But when the premier says, and I find it laughable, he says we've had a robust uh, discussion and debate in the House of Assembly. Oh, we've had quite a, a robust debate and, uh, and uh, discussion in the House of Assembly, but it's been always one-sided. The, the 75 hours on this present budget, we, and I say we, the opposition, particularly the uh, official opposition, used most of that to outline what we heard from the people of Newfoundland Labrador that they felt this budget didn't address. The cost of living, uh, the increases on fuel cost, the impact on health care, the impact on education, what it means for seniors. So but we had very little uh, debate from their side to outline how their programs would be beneficial, what would be in the best interest of the, of the people of this province. When we asked questions, we couldn't get straight answers. You know, I got up and spoke. I'm, I'm given an hour of three different times in the budget. I spoke uh, three hours. I took my full hour to outline what I and my colleagues in the official opposition had heard from the tens of thousands of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians all over this great province of ours, represented by Liberal members and NDP members, but they wanted their voice heard. We echoed that. We outlined it. We even got to a point where we recommended changes that need to be made in the budget to address some of the financial hard, uh, hardships that people are facing, some of the ways to improve the economy in Newfoundland and Labrador, and some of the things to be preparing for in the future, being proactive here. Uh, we got very little support from them until we forced their hand. The few changes that were made that would be beneficial around the home heat rebate program came from us pushing uh, what we had heard from the tens of thousands of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Does it go anywhere close to what we would have liked? No. We want to want something immediately uh, because people are obviously in debt from this past winter. They need to catch up so that they can start planning for what's coming uh, you know, this fall. We also wanted it to cover other things like the cost of uh, home heating propane and wood, which all increased dramatically also, but it's not covered under this. We also wanted to look at, you know, some financial rebates for other people, seniors, and these type of things. So, you know, it's fine and dandy to put money in that in for electric cars and that, and, and that's a, a good energy-efficient, green energy um, process and program we need. Unfortunately, right now, we have to make decisions around people heating their homes, getting the proper medication, being able to eat properly. And, you know, some of the decisions made here are, you know, laughable. And particularly when the Premier says that they had a robust debate. No, no. We had a robust debate representing the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, they sat very quietly uh, and let us make amendments that we thought uh, would represent the needs of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, which they voted down. I mean, they voted in uh, with their NDP colleagues a carbon tax 
And not that we're against doing what part we can in Newfoundland and Labrador for the environment. We're very cognizant that we all have to be responsible around that. But at this point, that is only a detriment to the people of this province putting another tax on tax. The sugar tax, another example, where they can't see any real financial or health benefit to the people of this province and putting another tax on particularly, uh, you know, the lower income and poor individuals of this province. So it is laughable when he keeps saying that, you know, they've been transparent in sharing information. Any information, the small bits of information we've been able to get is either through ATIPA or we dragging it out of them for the hundreds of questions we ask in the House of Assembly and forcing their hand to be as transparent as possible uh, in the House of Assembly, and they've dismissed that continuously. So, you know, at this point, his statement to me is just trying to defend uh, and, and, and change the narrative here. I mean, he's talking about rate mitigation. It's very important uh, that we you know, keep the electricity rates down and reliable electricity for the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, but there's a number of other issues here that could be addressed in their $9 billion budget that they weren't proactive on, and that's that has been our argument here, and our argument has been based solely on what we're hearing from the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, and we're hearing it from Nain, Labrador, to Conception Bay North, so, and all places in between. And what we were hearing, and it was being echoed by all, was the cost of living, health care, and the impact generally on the next generation of them wanting to stay in Newfoundland and Labrador, be educated here, and be productive citizens. So there were three key messages that we tried to send to this administration about being open, transparent, and more importantly, engaging with the people of this province. And we didn't see any response from them in a positive manner here. And I think that reflects the fact that, you know, people have said this budget does not go far enough to address the immediate issues that they're facing, cost of living, and particularly health care in this province. My guest today on on target is opposition leader David Brazel, and uh, among the things that uh, government is, uh, I suppose, digesting right now is the Rothschilds report. I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. My guest today is opposition leader David Brazel. And uh, David, you mentioned earlier the Rothschild report. And when it comes to the Rothschild report, there's little doubt that there is some proprietary information contained within. In fact, we had a, an investment analyst on this show saying that uh, government should keep the contents of the report close to its chest. Should that report and its recommendations be made public? 100%. Now, there may be some sensitive piece of information that, uh, you know, would need to be held back because it might interfere with the value or if you do put an asset out to the market on how many people would bid on it and what you can maximize the uh, the value of that. But, but I want to back up a little bit, uh, Linda. Let, let's talk about first... $5 million was spent for this report for an outside entity outside of this province. Uh, but from my perspective and our party's perspective, we didn't need to spend five cents. I mean, we have, you know, hundreds of qualified civil servants who have a background in asset analysis, a background in financial management, a background in being able to determine the real assets and their liabilities. And we went outside and paid somebody $5 million to do something that, think of it, most of the assets that are in this already are outside entities, you know, arm's length from government. So they have boards, they're assessed on a yearly basis, the value of the assets, any liabilities attached to it, uh, what their ability for expansion for the services, if it, indeed it's a service that can be better uh, served somewhere else, or if it's a uh, entity that has the value for the people of this province that could 
could be expanded. So all that was, you know, easily, readily available. Uh, that's pretty well out there. I mean, you can go on, if you wanted to look at uh, Newfoundland Hydro, the value of Newfoundland Hydro, how many employees it has, what debt it carries, uh, what uh, potential for expansion, that's in their annual reports. If you want to do the same for the liquor corporation, the same thing. So first, spending $5 million of taxpayers' money when we're in a financial crisis, when we could have used that for people in hardship, uh, is one of the first uh, issues that I had concern with. The second here becomes now all of a sudden you have the assets owned by the people of this province being held very close by a handful of people, whoever this has been shared with, uh, you know, within uh, the Liberal uh, cabinet itself, or some of their friends outside, we don't know. So they now have access to information uh, that could be detrimental to one of the assets of the, the province here, or it could be relevant to selling off something uh, at a less value than it should be. So we have a problem with that right now. Why would you not share the information? Now, it could be uh, particular sensitive things, and I get where people in the financial world would see that, but that can be done very easily. But in most of the cases here, knowing most of this information is already public because these are public entities, why would you not now say, here's the 25 or 50 programs, services, or assets that we've assessed, and here are the ones we feel right now are of no value to us or liability, that it would be better if we sold them off? and got rid of them, let the private sector see if they could maintain them or develop a particular service or, or a program based on that. And the ones that are of value to us, you know, my issue here is if it's something that's of value to us and has potential growth and it's help, helping offset our revenue stream, why would you get rid of it? Why would you get rid of the liquor corporation at this point? You might get a, a, you know, a one-time cash influx. But now for the next 20 years, you're going to have to try to make that money up somewhere else, particularly if you know it's a, an asset that is growing in value and is uh, continuously uh, returning more uh, asset and more financial benefit to the people of the province than a liability. So there's issues around here why you wouldn't uh, be sharing it, who now has access to it, and how long are they going to shelve it before they make decisions on what they're doing? And if they're making decisions, what protocol are they going to use? Are they coming to the House of Assembly? Are they going to put it out as a plebiscite? Are they going to just put it to the market and see who grabs at what? Are they just going to sell assets that are costing uh, the ta taxpayers money? Or is it going to be we're getting rid of the ones that are generating revenue for us and have potential expansion? So there's a number of questions here that we have yet to get one clear answer on anything. All we keep getting is this is a report. We're not sharing with anybody. After the Premier had said a number of times he would share all the information with the people of the province and nothing has been done around that. Couldn't be further from the truth for them to be open and transparent, particularly on this issue. Now, we don't know the contents of that report, but at least we knew about the report. What about the citizens' representative report into alleged bullying and harassment at Elections NL? It wasn't until Paul Lane raised it publicly in the House of Assembly that anyone even seemed to know anything about it. Another concerning issue here, and, uh, you know, we, we asked a question. I asked a question on it first before anybody else because we had heard rumors of it, and we had uh, some people had reached out to us about this report that had existed, uh, and uh, we were shut down. The speaker shut me down, would not let me ask the question. I asked the question but would not let anybody respond to it, and I asked a multitude of times around this. We knew it existed. The issue here becomes around another report uh, that's being kept secretive. When this is about, you know, harassment, 
harassment and bullying. It's about people's safety. It's about the integrity of an office, the integrity of everybody involved. But in any situation like this, you should have an immediate response that deals and addresses the issue. And if all of a sudden you need to find another track of um, follow-up, uh, more investigation, whatever it may be, somebody has to make that decision. In the House of Assembly, when reports like this come relevant to a table officer at the House of Assembly or one of the officers at the House of Assembly, you have a mechanism. We have the uh, Management Commission of the House of Assembly, made up of all reps from all three parties, who would sit uh, and look at any reports. They're the ones who look at reports when they come in. They then, uh, if there's follow-up information or follow-up uh, processes need to be done or investigation, they would then put that in play. Then the report comes out with a final set of recommendations. That comes to the House of Assembly to be debated and obviously shared with the general public in Newfoundland and Labrador. In this case, why it was sat on for almost three months until we pushed it, uh, and Pauline was an advocate also, and we worked with him on this too, to make sure that people were protected and the integrity of the process here. For some reason, uh, it got pushed off the wall. I don't know who was engaged here. I don't know where the speaker uh, got the determination that it was only certain uh, avenues they could go. Now my understanding is that the uh, commission will have a look at it and determine what should uh, what process should be used. We made that recommendation months ago in the House of Assembly. I made it to the Premier. Uh, he acknowledged when he received a report that he was going to follow our direction and send it back to the Management Committee. But but for months, somewhere in this uh, Confederation building, that report was on somebody's desk and wasn't being acted upon when we know there's allegations of harassment and bullying uh, in one of our key agencies in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's not acceptable. Why, again, it, it, you know, it smells of another cover-up here. I don't know who's covering for who. I don't know why it was delayed. Uh, I, all I do know, it wasn't in the best interest of the people involved in this, nor the best interest in the integrity of the House of Assembly or the people of this province. My guest today on On Target is the opposition leader, David Brazel. And David, when we come back after the break, uh, healthcare, of course, a prime uh, topic on everyone's minds these days, and your district is not immune. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about access to uh, physicians when we come back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Opposition leader David Brazel, but he also happens to be the member for Conception Bay East Bell Island. And uh, Bell Island uh, has been in the news lately. Uh, we all know what the situation is in Newfoundland and Labrador when it comes to access to uh, family physicians in particular. And the people of Bell Island got together, led by Ked Ka Ken Cavanaugh and uh, the likes of people like Teresita McCarthy, who's a force to be reckoned with. And they put together a little campaign to try and get Dr. Ferris Ayar, who uh, well loved in the community to come back he came back for a locum what's the latest on that have you have you secured a family physician uh, not at this point unfortunately I think we're down to you know the final few hours of, of seeing where this is going to go I'm still optimistically hopeful that something can be done you know I've had a multitude of conversations with uh, senior reps with Eastern Health uh, I talked to Dr. A.R. on a number of occasions, and we've had some discussions about how we could try to make this fit. Uh, you know, it's a unique situation. Belle Island, in, in a little over a year, went from having four uh, doctors, family physicians, to having none. And, you know, because of the community coming together, being able to recruit one of our former doctors, 
to come back for a period of time who wants to stay. It's just a matter of trying to work out a deal that's uh, compatible for you know his uh, quality of life and being able to commit to providing services for the people of Belal and for Eastern Health being flexible enough to be able to find a way to do it. And that becomes the issue. And I know there's collective agreements and there's all kinds of other nuances as part of it. Um, but we've been stressing you know, there's a crisis in healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador. There's a crisis when 125,000 of our citizens don't have access to a family physician. So we got to think outside the box. We got to be a little bit more creative. And you know what? We got to compete with the rest of the world. Well, we need to do that for healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador. If it means we've got to change our process, if it means we've got to invest more money, we've said that as the opposition. We would support government in this because healthcare is too important, not only to quality of life, but to the economy itself. So to find, you know, efficient ways to do it. I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, I've reached out again and said, if there's some way to, that I can help or we can help here to make it happen, not only for Belle Island, but it's important and, you know, near to me and dear to me, but also for all the other places that we are. Central Newfoundland is in the midst of a crisis here, people not having access to it. You know, people having to go to emergency rooms now continuously in the Northeast Avalon because they don't have access to a family doctor for simple things like, uh, you know, a prescription being refilled. So, you know, we've gave all kinds of options. Uh, my fear right now for my own district is not having uh, continuous access to health care and a continuum of a doctor or a group of doctors who know exactly the patients they're dealing with and having to deal with that accordingly. I, I give credit. Uh, Eastern Health have found a way that our emergency room on Belle Isle has always been staffed, uh, but it's very costly because these doctors are at a different level and they have to give up a lot to go to Belle Isle on a continuous basis. You know, we've had them there Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So there's a big commitment from them. You could get some continuity if you put the incentives in play for doctors to either live on Bell Island or be part of that whole Bell Island uh, community and then be engaged and have a continuum of what their responsibility would be and take on their clients and their patients on a continuous basis. So, you know, we've talked about scope of work so that there's less pressure on doctors about what nurse practitioners could do, licensed practical nurses could do, pharmacists could do, paramedics, and all the other great health professionals that we have in our system here to be able to offset some of the pressures from one of the other groups and be able to offer a continuum of uh, proper health care for everybody. And it makes no difference if you're in remote areas of Newfoundland and Labrador or if you're in the urban centers. People should know that they have access when they need it and have some stability if they have an ailment that somebody's going to assess it and and there would be some interventions being done there. So this is very worrisome because we're not seeing solutions that are moving in the right directions around recruitment. Um, you know, we, the Premier came out and announced five new medical student seats, and that's fine if we're five years down the road. It doesn't help the immediate issue here. Had been us, we would have added double or triple that to make sure in five or six years we've got a number of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who want to stay and practice in Newfoundland and Labrador who are given incentives enough to stay here, be part of a family, be part of the community itself and there's a multitude of other things that could be done here that they're not being proactive on that are detrimental to keeping our healthcare system uh, fluent uh, and providing service if they don't start doing that we're in a crisis now it's only going to get worse so there has to be action taken right now to ensure first we start keeping the doctors that are leaving that's that's one of our big issues we know there's more retiring than we're hiring so we have to find a way to hire more and find a way to change the scope of work so it's more there's many more incentives or it's more attractive to practice in Newfoundland and Labrador, no matter what community you're in. 
Some time ago, of course, the province put out a market-sounding um, exercise, if you will, on delivery of provincial uh, ferry services. Uh, as a Bell Islander and, and someone, who, of course, who represents the people of Bell Island, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, it has an impact on everything. I mean, if you're trying to attract people to your community and you're trying to sell the amenities you have and get them to provide a service, you've got to have certain things that are not restrictive to them wanting to be there and should be attractive. I mean, you know, the the ferry service for the last number of years has been managed very detrimental to the people of, uh, of my community. Uh, unfortunately, government doesn't be, are not listening to some of the things that should have been done. Uh, some of the training mechanisms here, the scheduling for refits. We've been calling for a shore-based manager that was there for years that would give that individual the ability to coordinate all the challenges around a ferry service. I mean, there's no illusion here. There are challenges. You're dealing with vessels that have 20 to 30,000 parts. So there's going to be things happen. But it's about communications. It's about being proactive and planning in advance, and it's about using the assets you got to the betterment of being able to provide the service for the people of uh, any community, but particularly in this case, Belle Island. But all the communities are having challenges now because of you know the management process, and the management process here stop, starts at the minister's level down on uh, you know coming up with a plan that works properly <laughs> around refits around, you know, proper training, around recruitment, you know, partnering with the Marine Institute to know that you've got skilled, qualified uh, graduates ready to take on a career servicing the people of this province under the uh, Marine Services branch of uh, transportation infrastructure. Any idea where that process is right now? Well, you know, I'm hopeful that they'll see the value of a shore-based manager for uh, the uh, Bell Island Portugal Cove run, and I've already outlined how they could save millions on that as part of that process. I think there's a play for, you know, a, a certain segment in the private sector that could work on managing the refit schedule because they have an expertise in that. So a ferry that goes in for a three- to five-week refit and is in there for three to five months and it costs $3 million more, then something went wrong on the assessment up front or something went wrong uh, on the oversight in the um, refit itself. So there's ways this is, this could be improved on 100% that could save millions for the taxpayers and still provide an adequate affordable service to those people who live uh, and are serviced by ferry services uh, on islands. Just under three minutes left. Uh, it was a pretty raucous uh, <laughs> um, period in the House of Assembly uh, last going off. What do you expect ahead and, and some final thoughts? Well, I mean, again, you know, we, we spoke up for the people of Newfoundland Labrador, what we had heard from them, the conversations we had. Uh, myself and my shadow cabinet traveled all through this province. You know, I, I think we did 40 different meetings in different communities, remote and urban centers, and heard the same echo from everybody. You know, the cost of living is having an impact. The uh, health care crisis is having an impact. But one of the other bigger things from people was people need to have a glimmer of hope. They need to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And we've been telling them, like, this is a great province. We have the most skilled people in the world. We're leading the world in a multitude of things. We have great valued assets. We need to manage them better. We need to get better deals at their hours and that, you know, let people know we're open for business. But if you're going to do business in Newfoundland and Labrador, the benefactors have to be the residents of this province. The taxpayers of this province and those who built this province need to see and reap the value of any assets we have. 
part and parcel with that is we have to have a plan that we share with the people. And that's, again, the issue I have with this administration, not having a plan in play. And if they do have a plan, they haven't been sharing it. And what we see with the plans that they do have, they blow up in their face. They never come out to be something that's the benefit to the people of this province. And it's not a doom and gloom because we have something that's very positive here. And I heard Patty Daly this morning even note that, that he's an optimist, but an optimist who's a realist. He realistically sees the value of Newfoundland Labrador and that we have a bright future, but we've got to get a plan of action in play that includes all of our citizens, uses the assets we have, the skill set we have, and develop the proper partnerships. We're, we're an equal partner. But one of the key equal partners here, we have to be treated as an equal partner in this confederation. Equalization, you know, we paid in, in you know, billions of dollars to Ottawa. They you know, got billions back on the Hibernia shears. Uh, when we had a challenge and asked for some money, the best they could do was they'll give us a loan. I mean, that was our money. You would have thought they would have said, look, you're in a bit of a crisis now. Uh, we're already taxing you because your resources and the taxation and the revenue on your all resources are considered income. Dave. So all of a sudden we don't get equalization. That becomes a challenge here. We need to be treated fairly, and that's what we're going to continue to fight for uh, for now and until the next election. I, I could see us going on to another big ramp up, but we have to go, unfortunately. We're out of time. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much, uh, and no doubt we'll hear uh, more from you throughout the course of the summer. Thanks. Thank you for this opportunity, and I hope everybody stays safe this summer. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, have you ever been in a Newfoundland or a big bread and partridge berry pie well we'll uh we'll tell you a little bit about that process and other things uh with our guests tomorrow stay tuned for that thanks for listening Local news.